You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I am your host, Erica Lance, my amazing co-host today. I'm I'm already regretting saying that out loud, is Valerie Willis. You always regret it. I stopped eating snacks because I kept getting in trouble. Now we just need some of the sponsor snacks and then I get to eat back on the show again. No, that's not how that works. We've talked about that many times. That's not how that works. Um, Don't forget, like and subscribe. You've got your device in your hand. You're listening to us. You're watching us. Like and subscribe. Um, Our sponsor today is Skunk Brother Spirits, coupon code DWA10. Check them out. And we have, again on our show, but now a Bram Stoker Award winner, Jeff Strand. Hi, Jeff. Hello. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking a little bit. So I, out of some DWA swag, am drinking orange and elderberry juice. I found this today. I was excited and I put some vodka in it. So it's a little like healthy combination of drunkenness so that's what i'm going for val what are you drinking um i took that strawberry margarita mix which is like 13 percent alcohol and cut it in half with cranberry tropical juice it's not it's interesting okay jeff what are you drinking (laughs) for the first time ever i am trying liquid death i love liquid death i have never tried it. it 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 is water it is water that is very appealingly marketed like poison. So yes. Yes. It, you know, it will murder your thirst. So we'll see if my thirst actually does get murdered. But I'm assuming it just tastes like water just in a really cool package. It is, but that, different. and they give back to the environment. So their whole entire thing is put it in a can because aluminum's more recyclable. Right. than so. plastic is these days because China's not buying our plastic. It's a pretty good motto. And I have to say their commercials are just off the hook. They are brilliant. If I start getting a little you know, out of control and rowdy, it's because of my water. I, I, I have no doubt of that. I'd like to see you out of control and rowdy, actually. It, it tastes like water. It is, <laughs> it is a can of water. A can of water with a really cool label. Okay, so for anybody who doesn't know what you write, Jeff, what do you write for the audience at large here? Primarily, if I'm forced to pin it down to one word, I say horror, but it's horror with lot, generally lots of humor. I'm kind of known as the horror comedy guy and a lot of horror thriller type stuff. So, but generally I self-identify as a horror writer who puts lots of jokes in the books. Yes, yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. So it has been a little bit of a spell since we've had you on our podcast. You were you were one of the original guests that we had back when we were technically figuring out how to do shit and stuff. <laughs> but um, let's talk a little bit about um, you winning the Bram Stoker Award because you had a running joke and a card with how many times you were nominated, but you didn't win, correct? Right. Uh, Scott Edelman did that. He he holds the record for the most nominations without a win. He's been nominated eight times and never won. So he created the Bram Stoker loser punch card where if you get nominated and don't win, he would put a hole in your card. So I had four holes. So I, I was not one of the leaders in losing streaks, but I was pretty far up there. I had a, you know, I had a good run. And so I assumed that this was going to be, you know, punch number five. And then they announced my name and I was like, well, I guess I probably should have written the speech. So. Well, I was improving that speech going. (laughs) It could have gone better. It was fine. I didn't embarrass myself, but you know, you think if I win the Bram Stoker award, I'm going to do a legendary speech. And it's like, no, it's not going to be quoted by future generations, but I didn't trip. I didn't embarrass myself too badly, but I, 
know, I'm very, very analytical with these things. So it's like, okay, I think I have maybe a 5% shot. Here is who I think has got it almost for sure. So it's not going to be me, but, you know, I'm still going to enjoy the evening. And then I won. So it was like, I wasn't quite prepared for it. I hadn't counted myself out completely. It wasn't one of those, oh, little old me could never win a Bram Stoker award. I like there's a, there's a very small chance, but I did not think it was going to be. I, I love that you won. I think that's brilliant. And I and I could imagine the surprise on your face when you were sitting there and went, oh, that was my name. That was that was my name. Now I have to get up and do something. Yep. Um, so what, uh, you know, for you, you said you're analytical about these things. It's interesting because we've actually talked about you a lot on this podcast. So for regular listeners, this is the Jeff Strand we talk about, and you're, because we, we call you a method author, we've decided to coin, coin the term a method author, because uh, most of the authors <laughs> that come on tell us how their characters carry them away and they do all this stuff, but you don't write like that. No. No, you're like, this is a story and this is what I'm writing and all of that stuff. Yeah, is that, I'm assuming that's still very true, right? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm not, you know, it's like my characters tell me what to do, what they wanna do and it's like, mine don't. Mine do exactly what I tell them to. So no, it's always, you know, probably because a lot of it is, you know, humor, which is, you know, it's not at a poetry level but it's at a very technical level in terms of, is the comma funny? Is the joke funnier if the comma's there or there? And so that level of analysis while I'm writing makes it hard for the muse to just sort of carry me through the story without my me being really involved in it. So. Well, and it's interesting you say that because we don't talk a lot about writing humor because things can be funny, but actually writing to be funny, like a lot of people don't realize that takes a whole different skill set to write something that people would right. then find funny and come across as a joke. Right. Did you so like right here? I can just do a goofy face while I drink some of my refreshing liquid death. <laughs> Not a lot of thought goes into that. But if I tried to write that, you know, and then he did a goofy face while he was drinking a, a sip of his refreshing liquid death, I have to figure out how to phrase that so that it's actually funny. Yeah, because otherwise you're like, okay, you did a goofy face. That's not yeah. funny. So how many comments do you get from your readers and stuff about them laughing out loud or how funny they found something? Because you're talking about humorous horror. So how much feedback do you get from your audience on that? Not a ton on specific jokes unless I do a live reading, which I love to do. So then that's really the only time you get direct feedback on how well it's working. Otherwise, you're just looking at reviews, which are, you know, a laugh riot or not the least bit funny or whatever the range is. But, you know, I don't do that many books that are just pure comedies. I've done, you know, my young adult books are, but for my adult stuff, there aren't that many where it is, you know, the only reason you're supposed to read this book is to laugh. So it's lots of different elements. So you, it's like any other review where if you oh, does the emotion work? Does the action work? Do the scares work? It's just one element in there. That's true. Yeah. So let's go ahead, Val. Oh, you're I chiming in now. Yes, I'm trying to talk. After your book delivery, you're chiming I, in. Go I ahead. What, the kid, like I'm waving, I'm trying to wave my arm. I don't know if you saw. I'm like, I mean, we, we did. That. It was a whole episode. I remembered to lock the door behind me, but I didn't lock the side door. That's where I went wrong. And he found a way in. <laughs> <laughs> they always do. But always no, do. I, I like adding, like even though I write dark fantasy, I do like adding that level of humor. And I find myself like you, when I do readings or open mics, there's something very satisfying hearing them laugh or scoff, like getting that immediate feedback. And I, I always, you know, do you feel that reading out loud or being part of open mics has helped you in your process of mastering those humorous bits? I think so for like, especially with specific stories where you can read it and, you know, generally the story's already published, so it's a little bit too late, but when it goes into a collection, I can tweak it a little bit, but it's good for pacing where you can say, okay, that took a little bit too long to get a good reader reaction, but, um, you know, 
a lot of times it depends on the size of the audience because if you're at a you know if you're at a convention that has 12 tracks of programming and you have four people and you're reading they're not going to be laughing hysterically it's, yeah. you need sort of the crowded room to get the full impact so i can do a story that you know kills because it was a full room and then the exact same story is just polite silence with people afterwards saying oh yes that was very amusing so it's like you know any kind Thank of stand up. Thank you for showing up. We were mildly amused by your story. Yeah. We appreciate you. <laughs> so you can't take too much. You can't read too much into the audience reaction because, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, you need people gathered together, sitting closely to get a good comedy reaction. When they're sort of split off and checking their phones and stuff, it's not quite as great. So, I, so I don't really. I don't take notes afterwards. All right, let's do the post-mortem and figure out what worked and what didn't. But it does help to know, you know, what the more popular stories are, what stuff I incorporate into future readings and what gets the front of the line placement in collections and that kind of stuff. Gotcha. I think, okay, so let's talk about the horror aspect of it, right? Um, and writing horror as one of the other humans on this call that actually does write for not as prolifically as you yet. I need to catch up. Um, so when it comes to writing the horror, how do you decide how far to go with the suspense versus the gore versus, you know what I mean? Because they're really, you say horror and I think inherently suspense comes with horror. Like you, you don't have very good horror, you have gore, but not, it's not really, you know, the same without the suspense, you know, the yep. slow walk from the guy behind the person who trips, you know, that kind of thing. Like there, there's a suspense to that. How do you figure out in your stories where you want to go with that aspect of it? Like how down the trigger warning thing you want to. <laughs> um, it really depends on the story. It's not something where it's like, here's the Jeff Strand brand. I always go, you know, as full on gory as I possibly can. And it's also not, you know, oh, I, I like the suspense. I do, you know, my stories bring their terror from the whispering of the wind through the trees. It's whatever the actual story depends on. So, you know, I've got a, my werewolf series, Wolf Hunt 1, 2, and 3. Those have lots of action and it's a werewolf book. So people want the, you know, violence. It's a mean, nasty werewolf that tears people apart. And when he's in his human form, he's a complete psychopath too. So those books, you know, they're pretty gory. There's gore from beginning to end. They're not just, you know, relentless gore fests, but when the werewolf attacks, it's it doesn't cut away to the curtains blowing in the breeze. You get a werewolf tearing somebody apart. Whereas my book, Autumn Bleeds Into Winter, is a suspense book. There's very little actual violence in it. It's all about the main character trying to figure out, you know, what's going on to prove that his neighbor is doing what he thinks he is. So that particular story doesn't need the gore. And I'll get some reviews from people who are big, you know, for example, Wolf Hunt fans, like, hey, this is a Jeff Strand book. Where's all the gore? Well, that particular book didn't need it. So from a brand name perspective, you know, I don't think of it in terms of, you know, here's what I need to deliver to the audience. It's on a book by book basis. And my story ideas tend to be more toward the over the top violent type stuff, as opposed to the quiet horror. I'm not really known for the subtle type stuff. But it really, it depends a lot on the book. So my novel, Allison, just goes full on Grand Guignol, you know, for the final chapters. But then a lot of the other books, the story doesn't require that. So it pulls back a little bit. It's never a case of purposely pulling back. It's a case of, you know, where does the story need to go? We talked about this. So talking i we don't talk to a huge amount of horror authors i've been fortunate to talk to a few but and i think we might have touched on this on your last show but where do you get the genesis of these ideas and then do you actually write out a whole like this is my idea or does it just play out as you're writing it and you know where it wants to end i just can't recall it's been it's been a, a, a little time <laughs> it varies from book to book and sometimes from publisher to publisher so I once um, leisure crashed and burned, which is where some of my first mass market paperbacks were published. I 
really got into self-publishing and self-publishing, I can do whatever I want. So it's like, I can outline if I want to, I can start writing without any idea where it's going. I can do whatever I want. When I'm with publishers, they, I have to give them a little bit more. So my latest book, um, It Watches in the Dark is a, going to be a traditionally published book in bookstores everywhere. So in that case, they, the editor, when they reached out to me and said, are you interested in writing for us? They wanted three pitches. So it was, okay, here are my three ideas. They picked one and then I had to do a, not super detailed, but a, a synopsis. Here's what's gonna happen in the book that you're paying me to write before I had written type thing. So in that case, I didn't really have a choice. I had to you know, contractually do an outline. Otherwise it's kind of from book to book. So my book, My Pretties mm -hmm. has a few really big plot twists along the way that sort of they're the recontextualize what has happened up to that point. So I had to know what these plot twists were ahead of time to stay consistent. So where do you get those ideas though to go, I'm gonna do this retelling and I'm gonna do these plot points. Are you just sitting around? Do they pop in your head? Like do people watch it and is. go, this is a terrible thing? You watch cheesy horror movies and go, you know, I'm gonna take this character and do something different. Active them. brainstorming. Usually it starts with the um, trope. So it's like, okay, this book is gonna be a horror novel. What can I do that I haven't done before? And so um, I was like, okay, you know what? I haven't done a ventriloquist dummy. Those are, you know, it's not, <laughs> It's not like no one has ever done a ventriloquist dummy. They've been done, you know, extremely well before. So it's like, okay, what can I bring to a ventriloquist dummy? And so then I was, you know, just brainstorming, okay, what are the ventriloquist dummy stories that are out there? And I realized, okay, you know what? They're usually, they're quiet. They're about not believing that it is a ventriloquist dummy that is possessed. It's, you know, the little girl, you know, Zippy's alive. No, don't be silly. Zippy's just a doll. No, Zippy tells me to kill. No, Zippy doesn't. It's like, all right, what if my twist is that, you know, what can I do different? Well, what if you find out very early that what is going on? So it's not the trying to convince everyone it is, this is what's happening. And that happens early. So that has to carry you through the whole book. And then what if it became mixed with survival horror? So, because tr traditionally a ventriloquist dummy story the characters are only in danger because they don't believe that there's a dummy that's going to stab them to death if they turn their back on them. So what if they're in a, a different perilous situation and the dummy is just making things worse? I was like, okay, that's a different story. So that's a lot of what happens. You know, Wolf Hunt was, okay, I haven't done a werewolf book. I should do a werewolf book. I was like, okay, what if I mix it with a crime thriller? Okay, that still is not enough because there have been werewolf crime thrillers. So it's like, all right, what if there's lots of humor in it? And then I just sort of try to pile twists on what's been done before until I'm happy with the story I've got. So My Pretties was sort of a, you know, really dark thriller about a guy, you know, a psychopath who's method of killing is to lock his victims in a cage and just sort of stare at them as they starve to death. So it's a very, very dark book. And yes. so once you've got that, it's like, okay, so what, you know, what are the, what carries you through that story? And so then I just had to sort of figure, okay, what kind of twists can I do? And then I, without spoiling anything, there are the, you know, oh, you thought this is what the relationships were, but it's not. So that I'm not cheating to win. Because if you don't know what's going to happen, a lot of times with those big twists, you're sort of cheating because you're not consistent with what's happened before. So if I know what's, you know, if I know what's going to happen one third of the way into it, when I start writing, then I'm consistent because the characters are behaving the way they should, even though you're, the reader isn't actually getting the full story. And if you try to do that where it's like, surprise, then a lot of times it's harder to go back and make sure everything's consistent. Then's when you're like, well, that twist is kind of cheating to win because it doesn't make sense with what we've been told before. So for something like My Pretties, I had to know a pretty good amount of the story ahead of time. Whereas a book like Ferocious is about um, two characters who are trapped in a cabin in the woods when 
all the animals in the forest become zombified. And it's really simple. The premise is they have to get from their cabin to the truck that they left stuck in the mud three miles away. So it's essentially a three mile journey to their truck in a forest full of zombies. So in that case, I don't didn't really have to you know, do a detailed outline. It was as I was writing, okay, what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? I know that, you know, at the end of the book, they are going to get to the truck. And then it's just trying to throw as much trouble at them as I can as I write. So it really, it depends book to book how much pre-planning I do. I like to know to some degree what's going to happen, but um, I'm not one of those people who does those really, really detailed 60 page outlines where it's like, I know every single element before I write it. I like to have a lot of wiggle room as I go. Yeah, no, I, I can't do the 50 million page outline. Like Valerie, who does 50 million page outlines all the time. It's true, it's ridiculous. I do have a question. So you did put out a romance book, Kumquat. Yes. Have you done anything else that steps away from the genres that you normally write in? Yes. And every time I do that, the sales tank. So Kumquat was, I thought, you know, I'm going to do a romantic comedy. And so I put, you know, it's got a dark, twisted sense of humor, but it's a still a romantic comedy. And my thought was, you know, people like the humor, you know, fans of my book, if you like my writing style, you should like Kumquat. And the few people who read Kumquat loved it. It like got my best reviews ever up to that point and my lowest sales. So it, and then I realized that the reviews were also saying, a horror writer writing a romance novel, what? You'll be shocked at how good it was, which kept the romance readers away. Right, so, and, and this, and it's crazy because romance, because I'm always telling people romance readers review really well. They're, they are the, out of all the audience and genres, they leave the most reviews and, and they, they, they gush over the writing, the characters in the world much more than any other genre. Right. Um, but this is where pin names, like people don't realize pin name isn't necessarily, you have to keep it secret that you're cross promoting but and that you're the same person but it's because those audience are so drastically different that they don't want to cross streams it's very interesting in retrospect you know knowing then what i know now i would have slapped a different name on it and just not kept it a secret because i think the romance readers if they heard about it then they were pulling up reviews that were a horror writer it's like well i'm not going to read a romance novel written by a horror writer so i fully stand by kumquat but is kumquat still out there oh yeah very cool. Awesome. What else What else have you stepped and decided to write? Or was that it? No, no. I've done Bang Up, which is a smut comedy, which I think is my funniest book. And again, I probably should have changed my name on it, but I was really proud of the book. It was like, it, you know, it's a smut comedy, but it's, I think it's really, really funny. So I, and it tanked. So <laughs> reviews were great, but it just, it was not what my audience wanted to read. And then my young adult books, those, because there's really not much horror in them, like A Bad Day for Voodoo is sort of a splatter comedy. So that's horror from the standpoint of supernatural stuff happening, but it's purely for laughs. And the greatest zombie movie ever is about kids making a zombie movie. So it's horror adjacent. It's not a horror novel at all, but it's about horror movies. But uh, my other three are just pure comedy. So it's sort of stepping away. Those actually sold really well. There was no crossover in the readership. So um, it's not like my readers went out and bought, I have a bad feeling about this, but the kids went out and bought, I have a bad feeling about this. So they, the young adult comedy sold really well, just not to my existing readers. So if I had self-published those, they would have absolutely tanked too because there would have been no marketing but because they were marketed to a completely different audience they did really well but no I have never actually veered away from horror and not felt the sales impact even to the point of um where it's stuff that's closer like Cyclops Road and Bring Her Back Cyclops Road is sort of dark fantasy and Bring Her Back is 
a revenge thriller. Mm-hmm. And they both did fairly well. They both did good, but they did not do as good as the pure horror because I think too many readers were like, oh, I like his horror stuff, but this one's marketed as a tale of revenge and madness. So I think I'll wait for the next horror one, which I'm prolific enough that they can wait for the next one. It's not like, oh man, he only does one book every three years. I better hop on board. It's like, you don't have to wait that long for the next one to come out. So, which yes. is really cool. Well, it's it's interesting because I was when we last talked to Jonathan Mayberry, he crossed into high fantasy, like right. with Kagan the Dam. He's it now- has, It's very dark. It's got a lot of horror elements in it. Kagan the Dam. Yeah. I, is what it is um so and he so did charles cannon went yeah. sci-fi into fantasy i don't know if that's that's a leap you can do without destroying your fan base but that seems to be where they're all going like well it kind of i will say on my hand on for my stuff it's much smaller so kumquat bang up were both self-published mm-hmm. and so it's just kind of me saying hey everybody hey everybody you should read these so you know jonathan mayberry's epic fantasy novels were done, you know, with a big marketing push behind them. So it kind of, you know, helped that helped get him into the hands of the fantasy readers and also the really loyal um, fans, Mayberry fans. So. No, that's true. We, we'll have to talk offline about a pen name for you and getting some of this humorous smut because I'm all on board with that. Yes. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So in my case, it was sort of, I don't want to like create a new Twitter handle and Facebook page and website. I just want to see if my existing readers will read Bang Up. And they didn't, but the ones who did liked it, so. Yeah, and it's, it is interesting because it's like, that's the other complication to a pen name is how how far in that entity do you want to create it, including your, right. your social media. Your, and I've discovered at the end of the day, you at least need one social media for them, which is whichever that audience uses the most and the newsletter hands down. Um, and there's ways to kind of play around with that whole aspect. Um, but no, the pin name, it doesn't necessarily have to be secret. I still ever cross promote because I have Hunting Cummings of E.C. Willis and I still cross promote and mention those all the time on my Valerie Willis, even though that audience isn't totally into either of those. It still does enough for me to be able to share it, promote it. They don't seem to shy away from me as an author because of those things, but having those different names on the vendor side so that my audience gets those compartmentalized uh, genres has helped sales and made it a little easier that way. So if I ever do another romantic comedy or another smut comedy or something that is completely different from what I've written before, I'll probably finally try a pen name. But I was kind of surprised that the publisher never asked me to change my name for the young adult stuff and they never did my new book is for kids it's actually a step down it's middle grade oh wow it's gonna have jeff strand on it so no well you also have brand recognition of it i i totally get it if you if you decide to do the romance one thing let us know we will we will absolutely help you on that that we have down to a science at this all right okay we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with drinking with authors Hello, I am the monster of the monster sci-fi show. You may be confused, but I am the superior version of the monster. And not just some variant. Much like me, this podcast is burdened with glorious purpose. I'm here to say this podcast delivers timely sci-fi and pop culture news plus movie and TV commentary reviews. In the end, is this not simpler? Subscribe to the monster sci-fi show. It's sci-fi. From a certain point of view, the monster sci-fi show is part of the ESO network. Our sponsor today on Drinking With Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. 
Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrothersspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brothers Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. Okay, we're back. Now, some of your work has been turned into some films, hasn't it? I've had some short Ooh. films done. And behind the scenes, I have tons of stuff going on. And it has been going on forever. And it, the maddening part is I can't talk about any of it. Oh, and a lot of it I've been teasing for so long because I keep thinking, oh, it's almost time for the big announcement. And then it keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. And it's starting to feel like the girlfriend in Canada thing. With, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Coming out. Yeah. 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 So it's just because <laughs> my, you know, I was really prolific for a while and then it slowed down. It's like, oh, I guess he's just living off his riches. Like, no, there are no riches here. And I'm doing all this stuff behind the scenes that I can't talk about. And so um, that's what pretty much all the movie stuff is where you're just like constantly working and have nothing at the moment to show for it that you can announce. So I have had some short films, I not that long, actually right before the pandemic started, I had written a um, short film called Hostel, which um, Brett Kelly directed up in Canada. And it's like an eight minute horror comedy. It played at Phantasm in Orlando. And it's, you know, it, we thought there was gonna be a big robust film festival life for it, but it came out, uh, February 2020, right as all the film oh, started in, like my final moment of joy was being at the Alamo Draft House in Houston for the world premiere of it. And it's like, oh, and this is only the first screening of many. And then, you know, for a year and a half, it didn't screen anywhere. And then it, you know, played at Phantasm, it's played at a few other places, but it now it's on YouTube. So it's just called Hostel. I think if you look up Hostel Jeff Strand, it pulls up on YouTube and it's just, a fun eight minute little short film. What was that like being sitting and watching your story on the screen? I loved it because, um, you know, I wasn't there for the filming of it. I just wrote the script, but it follows the script exactly. And the actors just absolutely nailed it. You know, if I could have, if I was there as the director telling the actors how to deliver the lines that, I mean, it just, I have absolutely no complaints about it. So performance wise, you know, they just absolutely nailed the comedy. So I'm really, really happy with it. That's very, very cool. That's always fun when you get to see stuff on the big screen. And I know you got a bunch of stuff happening and we'll hopefully hear news. So we won't cry any further into that. But what has the pandemic been like for you writing wise? Like, um, did it help? Did it hinder? You moved in the process of that correct like yeah although at the tail end it actually kept me from moving because the intention had been to move much earlier and I was like I'm not moving in the middle of you know a global pandemic so I (laughs) stayed in Atlanta longer than the plan had been but it actually I mean it helped which not in a you know fun way but it was like well I don't get to do anything fun I don't get to see my friends I don't get to go to conventions don't get to go out to eat or to go out to movies so I guess I'll write a book so from that perspective, also what happened was my book, Allison, came out like at the worst possible time. So it came out just as all the quarantining was starting. And it was every horror, author, I don't know if this happened in other genres, it probably did. But every horror author in the world was like, hey, these two weeks where we can't go anywhere are going to be rough. So my book is free for the next two weeks or whatever so there was just tons and tons of free content because everyone jumped on that bandwagon and meanwhile it's like hey here's my full price new release so it did you know really badly 
and it ended up, you know, evening out, but its launch went horribly. And, um, and it, I know midsummer that in 2020, ebook prices across the board dropped to like $3.99 or something like that right. for a hot minute there. So it, it right. was, it, the, the market just went everywhere like someone scattered marbles. Yeah. So I was, got really nervous. Like, oh man, this, book which was not outside of my genre you know Allison is full-on what my fans want but it did badly when I launched it because there was so much competition you know if you can fill your kindle with free books and then I'm trying to sell one for full price it just impact and everyone was like okay so is the global economy going to collapse is anyone going to have a job after this do books continue to exist in two weeks so it was like I need to write really fast because I don't know how well these are going to you know, just, you know, every book from now on may tank. So I just need to write a lot of books to keep, you know, my income going because I had quit my job by then to write full time. So I kind of out of panic and out of, you know, not having anything else to do, I cranked out a ton of books in 2020. And then it slowed down in 2021 because the panic had subsided and because I was doing so much uh, screenplay type stuff but you know it what i'm not saying i'm i wish it was back in the you know thick of it because i got so much writing done that sucked but the answer to the question is no i got a crap load of writing done during the pandemic well i also think <coughs> certain genres at the beginning of the pandemic everybody was freaking out i don't know how and i say this from horror too i like i don't know how well people were like you know what i want right now <laughs> so horror story when we're experiencing live and in person the horror story of the pandemic especially with the news and the uncertainty nobody being able to stabilize anything and then of course the romance industry responded with people writing romance novels about covid as a entity <laughs> i don't know a shifter i don't i don't know well, it's on I, the horror side you know the stephen king's the stand shot to number one you know all that kind of you know all the global pandemic all the post-apocalyptic stuff had this surge of popularity then people started to get sick of it because at first it was just like oh this is weird we've never been in a situation where we're not allowed to leave our homes i'm going to read the stand because that'll be fun and then people started to get sick of it then you know the as it started to get more and more grading then People didn't want that anymore. They wanted. And then there was the rash of reviews of people getting upset about books that took place in 2020 or 2021, and they're like, okay. "No one's wearing a mask. I don't understand." And I'm like, "Baby, this was published like 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there was no way to predict." Yeah, there was a lot of talk of you know how much of this do you incorporate, and I'm like, I can't incorporate any of this because I don't know what it's going to look like in a year. You know, our movie theater's over. I don't want to, you know. I'm just going to pretend that things will be back to normal because otherwise I didn't want to write a weird book where it's like, you know, and the movie theaters were closed and they strapped on their mask and stayed six feet away and then find out that it looks weird, you know, three years from now. So in three years, they're like, what? This doesn't even make, no, this doesn't make sense at all. So um, what about reading? How much reading are you doing? Did you do during the pandemic of stuff? Do you, read a lot besides friends and stuff not as much as i would like my reading has been terrible for a long time it used to be you know really when i had fewer writing responsibilities i would read all the time and both my reading and my movie watching are kind of pathetic it's which i guess there's no shame in saying i don't watch enough movies but i don't watch you know i'm far behind on a lot of stuff so it's really kind of embarrassing especially when it's like, you know, what are the top 10 books you read this year? I don't, I don't know. So I'm- We won't little, ask you that question. I'm a little <laughs> yeah. bit out of the loop on a lot. I, I still read, I still enjoy reading, I still watch movies, but um, I think the internet has taken up a lot of time that would have been spent on that kind of stuff. And I also, now that I'm a full-time writer, I spend more time thinking, well, I should be writing instead of goofing off doing other stuff. So it's kind of- no, it's true. It's it's very true. And it's because you have to keep cranking. You have an amazing backlist. How many books do you have published now? About a little over 50 now. So. Oh, God. Because I think it was a little over 40 when last we talked just a couple of years ago. 
Yeah, that, right? that was the pandemic. That was a pandemic. That's what happened, Erica. Thanks, COVID. His schedule cleared up. Yeah. Did you and you published all of them as you wrote yeah. them? Yep. Wow. Wow. We lost Erica. She froze. These are always my favorite moments, and I want. <laughs> Hashtag Erica. An amazing question right now. I know, I know. Right in the middle, she was in the middle of doing a question. We will never know. A really thoughtful uh, question. I could be think right, thinking of an answer right now, and we just don't know. Yeah, we just don't know. And we just don't know. So, out of all your fifty books, is there one that you like the cover on the most? Oh, the cover. Um, I'm gonna go with Clowns versus Spiders, which is. You know, <laughs> My wife, Lynn Hansen, does most of my covers. That is and awesome. I'm going to step away for just a split second. And grab a copy. <gasps> a copy. I'm back. So, oh, yes. I'm for good. Or not for good, but she's going clowns versus spiders. So oh. that, that is my, there are a lot of, there are a lot of her covers that I like. And clowns versus spiders is actually not one of her favorites of the covers <laughs> she's done for me. But no, that's no. probably my favorite of them. That is awesome. Um, let's see. Oh, here she comes. Oh. She's reconnecting. And bam, she's back. I'm back. I'm sorry. My computer just went, and I'm done. That's the one right here. So, and I'm back. That's the best part. That's the best part. Yeah. I've had this happen a couple times on recordings. I'm like, just keep going because it's fine. It's fine. I'll get back eventually. His favorite cover that you missed. No, we just sort of stared at the screen going, what do we do? We, do, we, do? we were frozen too. <laughs> that would be entertaining, actually. I'm not gonna lie. That would be thoroughly entertaining to go hear screenshots of Val and Jeff on this recorded podcast going, who do we do next? I don't know. Um, so is there stuff when is there any stuff that you don't want to write about horror-wise that you don't feel like you can touch on, you know, that, besides super extreme stuff, but is there any tropes and stuff that you're like i don't want to ever go down that path body horror and stuff like that oh no but i'm all in favor of body horror there isn't a trope you know there's some that you know historical horror you know because of just the massive research that's mm -hmm. one of those where if i had a really you know if like oh, i only need to do one book over the next two years i'm gonna go and do a real deep dive into that thing because when i've tried even stuff that I've lived through, like um, Autumn Bleeds into Winter takes place in 1979. And it feels like every paragraph I was researching something. Oh, so, wow. you know, to say, I'm going to do something that takes place in 1300, you know, 1300 Europe, that would probably just the sheer amount of research would scare me off. And there are things like, um, you know, I'm not super well versed in my HP Lovecraft. So, if they said, you know, would you write a Lovecraftian novel? Mm. Maybe that wouldn't be the first thing I turn to. But as terms of, you know, what subject matter makes me uncomfortable, there's nothing that I would rule out as long as you could find an angle to do it properly. Now, most of the time you're not going to. I'm not likely to do my child molestation horror comedy. You know, if I came up with a way to do it where people wouldn't say, what is wrong with this idiot? But I have not come up with that angle. You know, you're not going to get a Holocaust theme book from me because I can't think of a way to do that. That would be not just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there's not, you know, there's nothing where I'm like that is completely off the table. You would just have to find the right approach. And there's some subject matter where it's going to be very, very difficult to find the right approach. And I'm not actively thinking you know there's there's got to be a way to crack the holocaust horror comedy code i just it's oh, like, no no i've got other stuff i could write about yeah so it's like i'm not trying to find a way to do that so it's more you know let's do a ventriloquist dummy book I think that's awesome. Is there anything that, because you go, you do visit haunted houses, you do watch scary movies. Is there anything that actually really scares you or you get frightened by? Ooh. Not in a fun way. So like if I'm in a haunted house, I jump at movies all the time, but not, not in a, you know, I'm terrified. Just anything in a movie 
It's really weird. If I'm watching a movie, I will jump no matter what happens. So if the hand pops in, like, ah! you know, any loud noise in a movie will startle me. But if I'm in a haunted house, I don't jump at all. So the actors leap out at me and I'm just like, hey, I admire the technique of what you just tried to do. So it's weird because I can walk through the actual physical haunted house and not jump at all. But in a movie, I am the jumpiest person imaginable. But in terms of actual fears, you know, if I'm driving through a desolate road, I'm not like, oh man, oh man, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is going to get me or any of that. It's like the depressing stuff like man i'm not a young man anymore and i don't have as much time as i so it's not you know the fun type horrors it's the oh crap i'm 51 that sucks type stuff. so no I, I i get that it's so funny because i'm the opposite in movies i'm fine doesn't matter what happens my boyfriend does get startled he's not scared but i think it's startled like you're not afraid of the hand jumping out but the hand jumping out or the noise or whatever can be startling right and but in haunted houses i'm not allowed back at universal or at bush gardens because for whatever thing kicks in if you jump at me i'm gonna hit you like if that's I'm one of those people that like if you come at me you're gonna get punched in the face and even though I know they're actors I've done that before myself I've been in haunted houses and still whoo boom okay sorry sorry walking and I know they're gonna come at me so like I'm yeah I'm now taking myself out of that equation I just at all so you should probably not go to I I can't remember the name of it now there was a a haunted theme park in near Tampa and one it, of the haunted houses which one Sir Henry's or no, the I, forest are the two I know of it's how it's I can't remember the name of it but used to be one it's not Hallow Scream when Bush Gardens does a Hallow Scream and they do the scare zones yeah, it's not Hallow Scream because it, it's one where you actually feel like when you're driving there that you're in danger, but they have a haunted house that is a full touch one. Yeah, no, that would be really bad and, for the actors in that. It's yeah, for so me, they basically, you give them, and there's you go in with a glow necklace. So you can withdraw permission by pulling off the necklace. So if you get too freaked out, you just pull off the necklace and then they'll leave you alone. But as long as you're wearing the necklace, they will grab you, they will slam you down into chairs, they get in your face, they shove you, they lock you in a prison cell, they separate you from the rest of your party. It, it's a very wow. intense experience. Yeah, no, that's not for you. I would advise you probably not to do this one. No, I'm not gonna do any of them. I love them. I love the makeup. I love the characterization. I love that stuff. Absolutely. I just know I'm a danger to them, so I'm not gonna do it. And I've even talked to people, professional people to go, why do I do this? Like, how do I not do this? I enjoy going to haunted houses. And they're like, yeah, you just shouldn't go to haunted houses. Like, I don't know, because it's a primal thing. It's not an analytical, because analytically, I'd be like, this is an actor jumping off, you know, from hiding and scaring me. Instead the of- The brain breaks it down to two veins, fight or flight, and madam, you are pro-fight. I'm very pro-fight. Another friend of mine, this was many, many moons ago, his husband had a pocket knife in his <coughs> pocket. A lot of guys carry around pocket knives, you know, short little knives, big deal. Yep, he went into a haunted house, out came the pocket knife. He didn't stab anybody, but it was like in his hand and he's like, I need to get out of here. Like it was, <laughs> so we, we, we sat and drank beer. The worst part is at Bush Gardens, you can't walk anywhere without going through a scare zone where they're trying right. to scare the crap out of you. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to be let out um, with my eyes closed so that, yeah, that was fun anyway. Very embarrassing for myself and others around me doing that. So what is your latest release, um, Jeff? Let's talk a lot about your latest release or what's upcoming. Let's let's dive into My that. latest release is, I'm going to grab the cover right now. Oh, grab it. Grab I love, it, it. I love this bookshelf full of all 50 of his books. Yeah. Freaky Briefs. So this one is a short story collection and it is all flash fiction. So it is 75 very, very short stories because a few years ago when I started my newsletter, I was trying to think, okay, what, what can I, 
you know, what kind of gimmick can I have with it? And so I decided to have every single issue of the newsletter have a brand new piece of flash fiction, which is always under a thousand words. And nothing which, goes to waste. I always tell authors, nothing goes to waste. Right. So I figured that way I could promote the story instead of, you know, the latest news. So it's not, hey, everyone, you should subscribe to my newsletter because it has links where you can purchase books by me. It's, hey, everyone, check out the new issue of my newsletter, which has a um, brand new story. So I'm able to promote every new issue by saying what the story is, which makes it a little bit easier, makes it feel less markety. So my thought was always when I've got enough stories to fit into a book, then I will compile them. And I hit a point where I was like, okay, I've got almost enough. If I just sit down and do nothing but crank out flash fiction, I can fill out the rest of the book. So I think about um, 55 of the stories were from my newsletter. And then I wrote another 20 just because I was ready to have the book out. So That's it's, it's all very very short stories awesome okay and then what is coming up next for you next up is creep out which is the um ventriloquist dummy book which doesn't have a publication date yet because that's going to be self-published and so it's sort of when it's done it comes out i've been promoting it for a long time but i keep getting sidetracked with other stuff one that it will not be the next one the most recent book that I've completed is called um, It Watches in the Dark, which is a giant scarecrow book. And because that's traditionally published, I'm done with it. We're recording this October, 2022. It will be out October, 2023, because there's a much longer you know, public uh, delay between finishing it and publishing it. And that is my contribution to the scarecrow genre. Very cool. I do appreciate the scarecrow genre quite a bit. I think that I, and I like seeing different stories in it, not just your, your car broke down. You know? <laughs> and, okay. with the car breaking down, Jeff, I need to know before I. It's not. It is two uh, twins, 12 year old twins who are on a canoe trip down the river with their father. There's an accident. The father gets badly injured and so they to help him they stop at a dock go up to this small town so people from the town take the father away say all right we're going to help him just hang out for a while and they realize that the people in the town are obsessed with this giant sized scarecrow that is right in the town square oh wow wow I love, this. I love everything about that so it is, it's weird because it's the same, pub, it's source books and they published all five of my young adult books and those are all, you know, insane comedies. Mm -hmm. And then when the same editor reached out and said, would you be interested in doing a horror novel for middle grade and can you give us three pitches? So two of them were horror comedies and then one was just sort of a straightforward, creepy scarecrow. And then they went to the team and said, okay, they overwhelmingly went with the creepy scarecrow. The wow. So I had intended to write, you know, a really fun, goofy horror comedy for the kids. They picked the scary one. And then while I was writing it, I realized that um, the premise of the book is that these twins have, you know, their father's injured. So they're worried about him. So that is one reason for them not to be rattling off the snappy one-liners. But also, um, they're trying to be on their best behavior because they're in this village with people acting very weirdly. And the people basically are keep getting antagonistic toward them. And they're just trying, you know, don't, don't rock the boat. Just behave. Let's get dad out of here. Let's figure out what's going on with this weird scarecrow. So what I realized was that I'm writing a book where it doesn't make sense for the kids to be funny. Because I try, you know, I'm known for horror comedy, but I also try to put the humor in where it belongs. Not like, oh, I need a joke. Let me squeeze it. Whether it's not. So weirdly, I'm doing this book for kids that is the least funny horror novel I've ever done. There's humor in it and there's some twisted dark comedy in it. But 
like these kids aren't looking at the world in a funny way and they're not trying to be smart asses. So I have a book where it's, it is full on creepy giant scarecrow stuff. My kid's into it. He's 12 and he's been into horror genre. Like I, it's not my jam. Like I, there has to be a sexy beast at the end of it. <laughs> but, but my kid, he's all into the SCP content. He, he can name things when he writes his own little, little short stories. They're all very dark. And I'm like, his teachers probably think we're weird <laughs> half yeah, him it's a dark book i mean there's no cursing there's no sex the gore is quote unquote off screen it's like when there are moments it's described basically you know the character turned away in horror or whatever so it's not a gory book although it goes insane in its last chapter but <laughs> it's not you know, no, no parents gonna read and say, "My God, this is a bloodbath." It, it's all, you know, kept off screen, but it's a dark, dark book. So we'll see what the kids think. Interesting, because I think um, uh, a lot of people don't realize that the line between um, middle grade horror, young adult horror, and actual horror, right? I think goes back to what I was saying before: is the gore factor of it. You know what I mean? Like. How, how far the gore is shown versus um, kind of hinted to or described or things like that. Because even going back to, um, you know, goosebumps and stuff like that, some of that stuff was really scary. It was very scary stuff, you know, for that age group, yeah. you know. Well, with young adult, you there aren't really many limits anymore. It's kind yeah. of do whatever you want. Young adult is really more defined by the characters being young adults. Like um, Autumn Bleeds Into Winter, the main character is 14, but it's not young adult because it's him present day looking back. So the narrator is an adult talking about when he was 14. So it's not young adult. Whereas if the book followed the 14 year old from his perspective in real time, then it's much closer to young adult. Whereas middle grade, you're dealing with much younger kids. So you you do have more content restrictions. So you're not gonna, you know, throw in a graphic, you know, bloodbath scene in something aimed at the really younger kids. But young adults, you can do pretty much whatever you want. I never had any issues at all with anyone saying, oh, that's that's not appropriate. No, I, I agree. I, I think it's interesting because other genres, you have way more limitations. They're like, if it's young adults, you can't do A, B, C, D. But that that's what I mean too is, and also I think it's how complex the topics you're talking about from middle grade to young adult to adult, right? Like, are you getting into something that is going to be above the reader's head? Like, it's so like whatever that you're like, um, they're not going to get it. But I think it's hysterical that your publisher was like, do the scary scarecrow yeah. one. So when they come back to you and go, okay, what's your next idea? Is it, are you going to leave a, a comedy one in there? Or are you going to go full gore on all of the options? The next one, you know, it, the, it watches in the dark. There's not much gore until the very end. And then it's kind of all off. The one I have pitched, which I'm not sure if that's going to be the next one or not yet, because it's not due for we're recording in October. It's not due until July. So I've got plenty of time to work on. So I haven't like finalized it, but that one is going to be basically pure suspense. So, oh, wow. And it's supernatural, but um, without giving really much of anything away, it pretty much the entire book will take place in one room dealing with one situation. So it's sort of a, you know, the locked room type thing. And uh, if the concept goes the way I have brainstormed it, it will basically be a completely gore-free, but hopefully excruciatingly suspenseful type book. I love that. You had the refrigerator book. What is the name of the, the one where they're stuck in the walk-in fridge? Cold uh, Dead Hands. Yes, because that was another one that for the most part took place in the refrigerator. Actually, the entire thing does. I it was sort of the writing challenge was that I wanted to 
if you pay close attention, they never leave the refrigerator. No point of view character ever leaves the refrigerator. So there are parts where the refrigerator door is open and stuff is happening outside of it, but none of the characters whose perspective it's from are getting outside of the refrigerator. And so it never actually leaves that. And that was kind of like the challenge was, can I do a whole book where it never, never leaves? Yeah. No, it's, it, it is awesome. That one. And that one is definitely like a mental thing too, from yeah. being, yeah, no, I, I love that. Okay. So we are at the end. Val, I'm going to let you ask the final question. And regret that, but question. Um, let's see. Um, what are some of the challenges you feel you face because you're a hybrid author? Like, um, I know you were saying that your traditional side, you know, you have a schedule where the books are finished, but come out way later. And then on self-published side, you kind of like feel it out. Like, what are some of the challenges that you face as a hybrid author trying to combine both worlds and reaching out to your readers? I'm not sure there are actual challenges. I think it's sort of like a win-win type situation. Awesome. So it, I get both the complete creative control of the self-published stuff and I can sort of set my own schedule, which, you know, is, I don't, I don't have the luxury of saying, you know, I can just publish whenever I want. I am trying to pay bills and buy groceries with this. So I have to keep up a pretty steady stream of content, but I also get the fun of going into a bookstore and saying, hey, there's my book on the shelf. So to me, it's kind of win-win. I don't really have a, intense preference for one over the other, which is why I do it as a hybrid. I don't, you know, it, I, I'm purposely a hybrid. I'm not a hybrid because, well, I've got all this other stuff I can't sell. So I have to self-publish it. It's kind of like, well, I really like self-publishing, but I also enjoy the traditional publishing. I don't think it really causes confusion to much degree because people are used to buying books online by now, especially post-pandemic. So it's not, you know, in the early days, it was a lot harder. We're like, well, can I get your book in a bookstore? Well, no, you can't. Oh, then it's not a real book. Now it's not that weird for anyone to buy a book from Amazon. So I, the whole idea that you don't, that books are available in a bookstore is a fun bonus, but it's not crucial to a book success. So, you know, titles get changed with traditional publishing, which can be totally fine. It can be frustrating. You know, you don't have nearly the control. It takes a lot longer, but there's also a lot more marketing. So my books tend, my self-published books tend to be, hey, everyone, here's a new book. And I may have teased it a little bit before that, but there's not a whole lot of pre-release marketing. Whereas it watches in the dark, you know, the cover is in progress. I've seen pretty close to the final version of it. So I'll start sharing that cover, you know, a year before the book comes out. Six months before the book comes out, people will be able to, you know, go on NetGalley and get the really advanced copies. So there'll be a ton of promo, which is also kind of fun because it starts to, you know, pop up on blog entries, you know, our most anticipated books for fall 2023, which you don't get with the self-published. So it's really, there are advantages and disadvantages to both, but I don't think there are disadvantages to doing both. So as a hybrid author, I don't think there's anything, man, being a hybrid author sucks because of this. I think it's kind of a best of both worlds because I get to pick and choose, you know, mm -hmm. the best of both worlds. No, and, and like you said, you get a chance to constantly feed the machine, as I call it. Like your readers are a machine that constantly need need to consume your, your stories. And it's hard on just one track or the other to do that. I think uh, the statistic is like the average romance reader reads five novels a week. There's not an author out there who can write to feed the machine, but being able to produce more than one, two, even three books a year does a lot and then cross promote with other horror writers and, and things like that. So I, I think it's great that you see positive being a hybrid author and that's a, a very, thank you for your insights. Yeah, I really enjoy it because I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. So I came up through the self-publishing is the worst possible thing you can do. And I was like, 
there's not a chance in hell that I would ever do that. And then um, I was with Leisure, which at the, they were near the end of their run. There was a time when Leisure, like if you're a horror author, that is where you go, you're with Leisure. And by the time I was with them, they were kind of on the strong decline and they canceled their horror line before my third book, Wolf Hunt, came out with them. So it had been, you know, we had the cover, it had been edited, it had been promoted. It was only three or four months away. So I was like, well, I should try it. And that's where I, you know, I'll get the self-published version out there just to not spend the next two years trying to sell a werewolf book. And then I realized that, oh, 70% royalties versus 6% royalties are great. Yeah. No, so, totally. and if you have the due diligence and you can do it, I think it's great. I actually, I think <coughs> authors should be willing to be both because it gets more of their work out there and more of the work on their terms. And it allows you to explore things that maybe you wouldn't fit in, you know, you go back to like, if you went to your current publisher and was like, I want to write a sweet hometown romance. They might be like, no, like, <laughs> you know, gently, or they just may ignore that email completely. Like, cause, but you could go, I'm going to write a sweet town romance tomorrow and put it out. And nobody could say anything. Like, for example, if I were, um, exclusively traditionally published that means each book is sort of pitched you have to say here is what i'm going to write and then you have to sell the editor on the idea i had shown this cover after after you got kicked off but clowns versus spiders I a, love that. a traditional publisher would not have gone for that they would say no however clowns versus spiders because of the movie related stuff that i'm not allowed to talk about has been an extremely lucrative book for me so the fact that, you know, I self-published it, it turned it into a book that was very, very much worth doing, but it would have gotten shut down yeah. at the traditional publishing stage. It would have said, no, that concept is not going to work for us, come up with something else. So I like the complete creative control of self-publishing, but I also like all the advantages that go with traditional publishing. So I'm, I like being a hybrid author. No Love plans that. to change that. Cool. Okay. Shameless self-promotion time, Jeff. Where can people find you and your books? com. That's got a link to my newsletter, which has a brand new short story in every issue. It's got links to Twitter, Facebook, all the places you can find me. So it's jeffstrand.com. Very, very cool. Thank you again for being on our podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the, um, didn't interrupt too much, Valerie Willis. I was very, I behaved myself today. It's probably because it's only 4 p.m. and it's not at night. And I get, I'm a night owl. But don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. We love your drunken comments if you've been drinking along. Look, look, I'm, I'm getting in the groove, Erica. I'm get, look at me. Look at me go. Yeah, that I couldn't might be the margarita stopping, but I tried to stop you there. It was impossible to stop you there. Our sponsor has been Skunk Brother Spirits, coupon code DWA10, and our amazing guest has been Jeff Strand, and we will see you guys next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tea Public store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.